and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. So uh, glad you're here. Bent Tree family, friends of Bent Tree. Man, I love your singing. I love your voices. This is a singing church. Um, today we began a new series I've been planning and looking forward to really for a couple of years now. Uh, we'll come back to our regular series in John, uh, but we're, we're taking a break from John for February and March. We'll get back in April just after our Easter time. But this series is something very, very special. Now, I have to warn you, uh, this is going to be different in, in the type of series. Instead of going verse by verse like we normally do through whole books of the Bible, uh, this is going to be a topical series. Uh, don't worry, it's still a biblical series. You'll have plenty to chew on from God's Word. There's going to be lots of Bible study. God is going to teach us a ton of good stuff of what it means to follow Christ. And the overall topic is growing together what is the church? That's the question we want to answer in this growing together. So what is the church? What is the, what's the church supposed to be about? And, and the redemptive purposes of God. And this is where we'll find out what the church is not supposed to be and what we do as members in that church, how we're supposed to live. In other words, what I hope to do is really to drill down on some key topics of what makes a church a church. Like, what does scripture say about the church? And then how do we actually then we'll live out that in our everyday lives? Both as individuals and as a group, uh, all of us together. That's the goal of the series. And not only that, you will just have the knowledge of what that means, but how you actually live life. So we're going to jump right into this. But first, would you just bow your head? Let's pray. I need some prayer on this. Heavenly Father, I, I just pray that you would be glorified in this time. I pray that you would just hide me behind the text and the meaning that you bring out by your Holy Spirit. God, we want to become the church you want us to become. We want to, to grow into all spiritual maturity, both as individuals and as a group, God. So that's our prayer. And... Uh, God, would you give me favor in the ears of those hearing right now in this room and those online? It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to give you a little analogy, and it's important that you picture this analogy. Uh, so turn that little flat screen on in your head. You know the one I'm talking about? So you can picture stuff. A young man has this incredible vision to start a restaurant unlike, well, any other and his name is Luigi. Everybody say Luigi. Luigi. All right. You got to say it with the Luigi. Luigi has this idea to start this restaurant that, well, he's got a secret weapon. He thinks it's going to make this just the best restaurant ever. He knows this restaurant from his mama. And his mama has given him this old family recipe to make lasagna. Any lasagna fans out there? You've had nothing like Luigi's lasagna. It's the best. He starts out a little hole in the wall place, nothing special. And people kind of are coming in and, and they're like going, what is this place? Luigi's lasagna. Um, and so he starts out and people, they come in, they go, well, I, 
Let me order the lasagna. So he eats, they eat the lasagna. And they're like, this is the best lasagna we have ever had in our lives. And so there's word gets out. There's people lined up around the block. Well, it's a huge success. And so he opens another location. And soon word gets out and it spreads. Each town wants one. Man, there's everywhere has a, a Luigi's lasagna. And so years go by. It is rocking. He's making millions of dollars. They're everywhere across the country. And then they're in a corporate meeting. They're looking at all kinds of graphs and charts. And Luigi says, he says, how is our very first one doing? And they said, we actually don't know. It's, it's so little and it's the first one. It's still there. So Luigi goes on that television show, The Undercover Boss. And he puts on the he puts on an outfit so they won't recognize Luigi. And he goes in and he orders the lasagna. Well, they bring it to him and they don't know who he is. And he takes a bite of it. And you know what? It's pretty good. But it's not Luigi's lasagna. It's just okay lasagna. Now, why tell you that story about Luigi's? Why tell you that? Here's why. We... The church have something far more important about how we're to live as individual followers of Christ. And it's so much more important than just running a restaurant or a business. And even more importantly, for all of us together, the church or what Jesus calls us the body of Christ. So it's so much more important than some nonprofit or just another business entity out there. Amen? All right, here's what I mean. We are Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching Christians, a church that has been started by Jesus. And as an organization, as the church, we are following this recipe, the Bible, to build and grow us as individuals and grow and build the church, the entity of the church. What had happened with Luigi's lasagna? They had not followed the recipe. They had left it out. They had missed the ingredients. Oh, it's still pretty good. It just wasn't Luigi's lasagna. What we want this message to spread, we want to see other churches started here in Loveland, across Colorado, all over the United States, around the world. We want to see people follow Christ and to be discipled right here at Bentry because we have this thing that people desperately need and it is the gospel, the word of God. This is the recipe we follow. Now, there are two driving forces that have led me to do this series today. The first is this. In the last 50 to 100 years, and I'll get to more of this in the series. I'll, I'll, I'll talk history a bit but in the United States, in the last 50 to 100 years, right up to the present, write this down, many churches have changed the definition of what church is and what it is called to do. Many churches have changed the definition of what the church is and what it's called to do. They've changed the recipe. Some only a little bit. And some massively. Some are leaving out only parts of the recipe. So much so that they're not serving lasagna anymore. They're serving like beans and weenies or something. 
They're not serving really what a true church is supposed to be. Now, the second reason is this, that led me to do this series. It's this, the church's function is to both guard and teach biblical truth in its core doctrines. The church's function is to guard and teach biblical truth in its core doctrines. Now, what do we mean by guarding the truth and teaching that biblical truth? What do we mean by that? How is that our role? Well, the Bible is our foundation, right? Let's have a big amen on that one. It's God's word. It's the meaning that we're looking for. It's the measuring stick that we, we measure all other truth by. Listen to me. Even our experience, what we think is true because of our experience, we don't hold that as true. We hold to this as true. We hold it up to this. So the Bible is long though. It's in depth and without careful understanding and study by mature Christ followers led by the Holy Spirit, The words of the Bible can be twisted. They can be manipulated uh, by Christians to believe something that it doesn't teach. Every cult that has ever started in the United States starts with the Bible. Did you know that? They either add stuff to it or they take stuff out of it. Both of those things are major sins. Look at Revelation 22 for that. For those old enough to remember the Jonestown massacre, the Jonestown Cult mass suicide in Ghana, uh, South America, claim, they claimed to follow the Bible. This cult did. In fact, they were led by disciples of Christ, ordained pastor. Now, if you don't know what happened, this is where we get the term, they drank the Kool-Aid. They poisoned Kool-Aid and they had everybody drink it and then they all died. Hundreds died right there. They poisoned the Kool-Aid, killed a lot of people. Listen to me, listen to me. Long before they ever poisoned the Kool-Aid, they poisoned the Bible. You, you understand what I'm saying? They added to it. People will do crazy stuff if they believe God's telling them to do it. They'll strap on vests made out of dynamite if they believe God will get them into heaven that way. And Satan uses that stuff to lead people in any direction possible except for the true direction. Do you see why it's so important that we guard, teach the truth? Some people are a little bit off, but it's the church's job to keep the true recipe. We want to make the real lasagna, right? All right, the Bible is our source of truth. It's our foundation. That's a correct statement, just an incomplete one in our meeting. Knowing and believing the truth about what the Bible teaches is our foundation. So you can't just say, well, I own the Bible, so I have all the truth. That's true, but you have to know it. You have to understand it. Now, the way the church must guard and teach the Bible is to have a proper understanding of two things that scare people when I first say it. It's this, theology and doctrine. Let's define these two words. Write this down. Theology is simply the study of God. Theology literally means the study of God. At some level, everyone's a theologian, aren't they? We all have thoughts about, is there a higher power? Is there a God? What's he like? I mean, 
Everyone believes something about God. I mean, when an atheist says, I, I think this is kind of funny. So I know we've got a couple atheists that check us out online regularly. When an atheist says, there is no God, well, my friend, you are declaring a truth you believe about that. You have studied God. That's theology. But what about doctrine? Doctrine is an operational belief system. It's our operating system. Doctrine is our operational belief system. See if this makes sense. Your doctrine says, this is what I have decided is correct. And I'm living my life based on these decisions I've made. If someone says, I don't have a doctrine, you realize that they don't understand what the word doctrine means. Because when they say, I don't have a doctrine, that is in fact a doctrine. Do you see how that works? It's an operational belief system. Now, here's something about doctrine and theology, and this is important. If God is, in fact, God, he is infinite in every sense of the word. We can't comprehend him because we are finite. We are limited in every sense of the word. We have edges on us then our ability to study God and know him are automatically limited. Not because God is limited, but because we are. You you tracking with me? This is where the Bible is so important to understand that it is the word of God. It is what God has decided to reveal about us. Now, is it everything about God? No. God's infinite. It couldn't be, but it's everything we need. It is inerrant. It is sufficient. As we study the Bible, as we study God, theology, and we begin the doctrines to develop the doctrines the Bible is communicating to us. Remember, doctrine is that operational belief system. Listen to how the Apostle Paul shows us how we move from Scripture as our basis of our study, our theology, to what the doctrine, the operational belief system that we need to use in life. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.14, this is what we had read earlier. Paul says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. He's talking about Holy Scripture. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hold it right there. It's that last line. Look at that. The doctrine moves us. In other other words, it equips us to be able to do every good work. It shows us how we operate. But remember, our doctrine is only as good as its source. As we have a great source... In the Bible, we'll cover the last, uh, we'll cover this later in the series, but based on everything we believe, everything that we teach on Scripture alone, or what the theologians used to call sola scriptura, Latin for Scripture alone, that's our source of authority right there. Amen? 
This is what we go, go to. But here's the deal. There's a real danger in our modern era. The danger is that if we try to study theology and try to understand doctrine in Scripture and we do that in isolation, we might get some key ingredients wrong. Now, I'm not saying that you're, you shouldn't have individual study of the Bible. You should. You should have a good everyday study of the Bible. You should read it and study it. But it is also to do that in the context of Christian community, specifically the church. Because a, a person can get off into some serious wrong and damaging teaching without the context of community. A community of believers with more mature brothers and sisters helping people walk through what is true doctrine, what is false doctrine. The process is called discipleship. Seeing how the truth of scripture and how the doctrines we derive from the Bible actually then apply to how we operate our lives. We do that in community and we call that community the church. As we walk together, as we do life as the church, as we are the church and we do church. As we study the Bible together, we help each other better understand those truths of Scripture, those doctrines that we can apply to how we live our life. What's so very cool is that this is not something that we just invented. And all of that, all that we do as a church, we have deep roots that we can call on. The way the church is organized and run are all doctrines that the Bible clearly lays out for us. Now, in this series, my hope is that we will be able to deliver some of the most foundational doctrines of what the church is and how we are to operate as individuals inside that church. What we're doing in this series is like Luigi, going back to his restaurant and making sure that the recipe is followed, that it's the best that it can be, not just okay. Let's start with what is the church? That's the series, right? What is the church? Well, the shepherding elders, we refer to a much longer definition in what's called the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. This is kind of like a, a definition book for us, a, a resource, like an encyclopedia for us. And we'll talk more about what the London Baptist Confession of Faith is. The 1689 is the year it was written. And we'll talk about this and how we get into it in the series. Just know that this is a resource that we use to rely on that points out key doctrines of what the church is. Something that has happened since year one of the church is you've had people that have come in and have tried to say, that's not true doctrine, this is. And heresies have arisen in the church. What the 1689 uh, London Baptist Confession of Faith is, is simply a culmination of all the true doctrines through time up to that. Now, we've added some of those we'll talk about in the series that they would not have known about back then. Things like gender confusion. What do we do with that? All of those things. But let me share with you a short definition of what the local church is based on this much longer 1689 confession. Make sense? 
We've used this definition since the very founding of Bentree back in the old days of 2010. Here it is. The local church is a geographical community of true believers in Jesus Christ. And by faith has placed their trust in him as Savior and Lord. So you got that? In obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified biblical leadership. They gather regularly for worship and the preaching of God's word, the Bible. They observe the biblical ordinances of baptism and communion. They are unified by the Holy Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and go out into the community where they live. Got the picture? This is just a short definition, and that is to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. That's our goal. That's what we want to do for Christ Jesus. To live as missionaries for God's glory and their joy. Now, do you see this? We're going to break this down over the series. You're going to understand this, but what the basic definition comes to is this right here. Let's start to break it down and try to understand what the church is. I'm going to use a term that may confuse you. It's the term Catholic. Now, when I say that, what do you picture? You picture the Pope. You picture Catholic churches. You picture things like that. That word Catholic does not mean that. What you're thinking of is Roman Catholic. And sometimes people shorten it to just Catholic. What we don't mean is Roman Catholic. What we don't mean are churches with the name Catholic on it. You see, the word Catholic simply means universal. Does that make sense? Catholic means universal or the worldwide church. Now, why don't we just use that word Catholic all the time? Because I'd have to go through that definition just like I did. Because there's so much False teaching in the Catholic Church. So many people have been burned by the Catholic Church. We'll talk about that more later. If I say Catholic Church, people don't know what that means. So you have to give this definition. So I'll simply refer to it as the universal church or the big C church. You got it? Okay. What is the big C church, the universal church? This may be an interesting thing for you. There's kind of two ways to look at this. Here's the definition, again, from the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. It's shortened version. The universal church consists of the full number of the elect. It's all the Christians who have been, are, or will be gathered into one under Christ, her head. Make sure you get it. The universal church, the big C church, Consist of the full number of the elect. Those are all the Christians who have been, are, or will be gathered into one under Christ, her head. The church is referred to as a her. Now we're talking about the total church here. Now do you get what this is saying? The universal church, that big C church, are all those who have truly been born again in the past, in the present, And those in the future that are not saved yet, but will be. That includes those on earth now, those who have died and are in heaven, and those who will come to faith before the return of Christ. The universal church is the total number of all those people. Are you with me? We don't know who all those are, do we? 
We can't see them. Listen to the author of Hebrews. As he says in Hebrews 12, 23. To the assembly of the firstborn. Talking about the church. Who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. He's referring to the church. The assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. I love this. This is the universal church. We're talking all believers throughout time. Both those in the past, those alive right now, and those who will come to faith in Christ Jesus in the future. All believers. That's the big C church. Now, we can't know all those people, can we? Because we, we're here. Some, many are already in heaven. We can't see them, can we? And we can't see into people's hearts. There are people, I know this will surprise you, that come to church that claim to be Christians that aren't. We can't see that. But God sees their heart, doesn't he? Listen to this old passage from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel 16, the second half of verse 7. For the Lord, Yahweh, sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. There are some in the church right now that are not believers. But we can't see people's hearts. We can't see their spiritual condition. Only God can. The point is here, I want us to see is that the universal church, the big C church, God is sovereign. It consists only of those who really believe. He is the one who saves. He is the one who calls people to life. He knows in his omniscience, his all-knowingness, who is saved right now, who will be saved in the future, who won't be saved. He knows why. Because he foreordained who would be saved. Those he saved are the total number of the universal church. That is the true church. We just can't see them right now. But we will soon, won't we? Because we'll all stand together in front of the throne as we worship and we take our crowns and we cast them before the king of kings. Amen? So sometimes people have called the universal church through time. They've called them the invisible church because we can't see them all. We can't see who's really saved right now and who's not. Now the question comes up, who runs the church? Like who's in charge? Well, you can answer that and say God does. And that's, that's a correct answer. But if we want to be more specific and start to truly understand God and develop our doctrine, our operational system, we must say that the church is owned and operated by Jesus. Amen. You thought I was going to say Luigi, didn't you? It's Jesus. We can sum up that doctrine and say this. Jesus is the head of the church. This is solid theology and doctrine right here. Jesus is the head of the church. Now we're talking about the big C church. The universal church right now. Jesus is head of the total church throughout time. He sees them all. Another name for that church is what? The body of Christ. 
That we all come together and make up the body of Christ. It's also referred to in scripture as the bride of Christ. Now we don't have time to dive into that analogy. Other than to say that there's several pictures or analogies. For helping us better understand who the church is. Talking about the universal church. And how Jesus is building that church both now and in the future. We don't truly understand all of that. But we will. When we're in heaven. But for now, let's simply stick to what we know in Scripture. The doctrine that Jesus is the head of the church. Now, where do we find this in Scripture? Well, a lot of places, honestly. There's lots. But let's just pull a couple here. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Let's look to another one that the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, Jesus, we, the church, have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his God the Father's will, according to his God the Father's purpose, for which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. He's going to bring it all together. All the Christians will be together one day. Now, this is powerful. It shows us that Jesus carried out the Father's plan to redeem all that the Father has given Jesus. Now, remember, we studied this way back in John 6, when Jesus said this. This is Jesus talking in verse 37 of John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Folks, he's talking about the big C church. He's going to save every single one that the Father gives him. Amen? That's good news. We've been seeing this in John 7 and 8 as well, haven't we? That Jesus' purpose is to carry out the will of the Father, the plan of God from before time. Jesus glorifies God by coming to earth to die for his people, to cleanse his people from their sin. That brings glory to God. And in turn, God the Father glorifies the Son by making him head over all things, doesn't he? He says, the church is yours. You unite it all in heaven and on earth. Do you see that? Now, back to Ephesians 1 for just a minute. Skip back to Ephesians 1. Skip down to verse 22. We see that doctrine continue in verse 22 and 23. Again, The Apostle Paul, he says, and he, talking about God the Father, put all things under his, Jesus' feet. Do you see that? And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his, where Jesus is, church, which is his, Jesus' body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. 
Now, I so want to hang out on the scripture. And just, this scripture is just rich in this text. But the thing I want us to see here is that Jesus is the head over the universal church. And he will bring it all together in the end. That one day, we will be gathered together in heaven. I can't wait. Amen? All right, but, but let me point out something that Christians, well, sometimes get wrong. When we study scripture, when we study the Bible, we have to listen to what is being said. And you go, Paul, I get that. Now listen, listen carefully. We have to find the truth of a doctrine that God wants us to live, the operating system. There is a truth. We, we will get to talk about this more, but the hermeneutic of the scripture, what is there? We have to ask, who was this passage written to? Like who was the audience originally? What is the passage referring to? What's the context of any passage? And as we mature in our Christian faith, one of the things that we do is to learn how to read the Bible and really get at what the truth of the passage is all about. That takes time. It takes a lot of effort. By the way, this is one of the reasons that I preach the way I do. I want you to be students of the Bible. I want you to read it every day. I want you to know it so well that when a, a, a guy comes up and just tells you a boneheaded doctrine that you can kindly, kindly in love say, no, that's not actually what that says. It's one of the main reasons why we, we have this kind of a service where we go verse by verse. Because if we're not careful, people that are teaching whacked out doctrine can deceive us very simply by doing what I call biblical origami. Folding that page over to this page and saying, look what it says. Like they've been the pages from scripture. They've been the context. And they make it say what they want it to say. You see this all the time on social media. People will take one verse out of context. Build a whole operating system. Whole doctrine based on one text. I saw this the other day pointed out. Uh, Somebody was making fun of that problem. And they said, it was a t-shirt that said, uh, I can do all things based on a scripture uh, uh, out of context. Because some of you are just going, wait, that's out of context? Yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a true statement. But you can't build everything on that statement. You have to know what it's talking about. Do you see what I mean? This is done all the time online to help us all mature and be able to study and get the intended meaning by God. There is a meaning in the text. He is wanting us to base our doctrine on. All right, write this down. Scripture speaks to both the individual and the group. So important. Scripture speaks to both the individual and the group. Here's where I've been guilty of misunderstanding scripture we as americans suffer from this thing where we can sometimes take a text of scripture with a presupposition in other words we're bringing a meaning to the text before we get to the text and that is that this text was written to me and it's often true that it is written to the individual but in reality we have to understand that what does it mean for the individual as part of the group? To understand that God is also speaking to us as a group. We think it's always about us. 
And it is, but we miss the true meaning if we don't understand it's about the group. In other words, Scripture oftentimes is not talking about how we to live as individuals in the world. But it's almost always talking about how we live as a group in the world. Do you see the difference? The Apostle Paul uses this picture of us being fitted together as a body. You've read that many times. You've heard me say that. We even said it earlier that we are the body of Christ. He says, we all play our parts like, like God has made. Maybe you, you're the big toe. <laughs> maybe you're the heel. Maybe, maybe you're the eyeball back there. Yeah, maybe you're the ear. But we don't want to have the big toe in the middle of the forehead, do we? I mean, how it's put together is all very important. Meaning that God specifically designs each individual very carefully as an individual that is part of the whole. And you go, Paul, well, that, that's just basic stuff. And yet I don't think it is. I think everyone thinks they're like a finger or an ear. And they go, I don't need anybody else. The interesting thing is we fail both as an individual and as a group if we don't get this. Do you see that? Together, the body of Christ can function, but we must be put together the right way. So often we start to read the Bible as it just pertains to us as individuals, and we we don't read it as a member like, okay, we're the church, what do we do now? The Apostle Peter, he uses a different analogy. I love this one too. Let's look at it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Peter says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Watch this. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now watch, watch. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you get the analogy that he's using? Stones, living stones, individuals, they're not just stones scattered on the ground. They're carefully chosen. They're shaped. They are loved and put into a specific place. Why? To build this beautiful house of God, right? A spiritual house he's putting together. And he's talking about the church being made up of individuals that fit together. It's the together part that we have to get. So notice how the text moves from the purpose for the individual believers to the purpose of the group. Do you see that? If we don't see that, we miss our purpose as both the individual and the group. We fail at both. Can I be so bold to say as we fail at life? We fail at life if we fail to get that. These two are inseparable, the individual and the church. They're inseparable. So that brings us to the question. If the big C church is all these people throughout time scattered all over the world, how are we being built together into a church like, like Peter said? How do we know that? All right. How are we being shaped? How are we being molded? This is where life, this is where life comes to play. This is where rubber hits the road. What does it mean for how we are to do life specifically as bent tree? Well, this is where the life of the Christian is lived out in the local level. Now, someday, God willing, he will bring us all together as one true church in heaven. Amen? What is invisible now will be visible one day. 
But what do we do until then? We live life together in the local church of what we also call, check this out, the visible church. Because I can see you. We live life together imperfectly as messed up but forgiven individuals. We live life in the local church. We call that the visible church because we can see each other right here. We do life together in this church. We can see each other. And this is key. I gave you a longer definition earlier of what the church is. Here's a shorter definition of the local church. You ready for it? The local church is where we live life together. As Christ followers, it is how and where we conduct or conduct, connect to the big C church. This is important. The local church is where we live life together as Christ followers. It is how and where we connect to the big C church. Life is messy. It's hard. Through the joys and the sorrows, the heights and the depths. It's through all of that stuff, actually going through the hard stuff that God uses to shape each stone and place them carefully into the fitted notch of the local church. Do you see that? Listen how the Apostle Paul differentiates between the local church and the big C church. This is fascinating. First Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth. So let me just check and see if you're listening. Where is it? Corinth. Okay. So it's a locale, Corinth. To the sanctified in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints together. So these are Christians sanctified and what? Called to be together. Okay. With all those in every place. Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both are Lord and ours. All right, look at this. You see both the local and the universal church in this passage. Do you not? Notice two things, two things. Paul is writing to the individual members of the church in Corinth, but he is also writing to the group. It says they have been sanctified as individuals. You are always saved, called individually. You convert. You say, I am going to follow Christ. It's you we baptize, not everybody, right? And then called to be saints together. This is key for us in understanding the doctrine of the church and what the local church is designed to be. Believers in Christ Jesus are are called to be together, or you could say designed, even shaped, even molded. That's the plan. But not just in heaven one day. We are called to be together now in a certain locale, a certain location. In the case of this letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is talking to those believers in Corinth, right? Write this down. We are called to be a member of a church where we live. We are called to be a member of a church where we live. When we say a local church, we mean local. It refers to the location of where we live. That doesn't mean that you have to live right next door to the church. It's okay if you do. We have people right here in the neighborhood that come to this church. Praise God, though, for people that drive a ways to get here. 
Bibi and I live in Johnstown. Not real Johnstown. We live in fake Johnstown. You know, by Shields, those people don't know where the real Johnstown is. But there are people that drive from Greeley, Fort Collins, down south. We have some people that drive up from Denver every once in a while. We love you guys coming from further away. We, we're, we're thankful for Jeeps that will bring you here and cars too. So, but why local church? Why the local church? Here's the thing I want us to see. In God's sovereignty, in his plan for us, the providence, that's the word for plan, both as, both as individuals and as the group, Jesus has placed us together in the local church to do life together for mutual discipleship. Write it down this way. In his sovereignty and providence, God has placed us together in the local church in this time, that's key, for our mutual discipleship. Please get this. In his sovereignty and providence, God has placed us together. That's God that's placed us together in the local church in this time for our mutual discipleship. This is critical that we understand this for us as both individuals is that God's plan is to build the church. God builds us as individuals for sure. But the goal is to build the church. He's not just building you to build you. He's building you to be a member of a church. If you don't get that, you're off in the weeds. You're not getting it. You're not living as Christ. You need to be part of a local church. The function of a local church and membership in it are far more important than we could ever, ever realize. But largely, people have forgotten that in the United States, at least over the last 50 years. And that has driven a question I get a lot. It's a good question. Why do we need to be a member of a local church, Paul? Why, like, why is membership so important? Aren't we automatically a member of the big C church when we're saved? Like, aren't we kind of members of every true Christian church in the world? And the answer to that question is yes. But we must realize this. Upon being born again, we become members of the universal church, yet... We must join a local church to know and be known by others. Oh, this is good stuff right here. Upon being born again, we're automatically, we become members of the universal church. God knows that. Yet, we must, it's an action we take, join a local church to know and to be known by others. When we say that we can Know and be known. The other way to say that is that the local church is our connection to the universal church. I've had the blessing when I was younger, being able to be a musician, I've traveled the world. When I say I traveled the world, I traveled the world, baby. I got to lead worship and sing and, and speak in countries like China, all over China. Korea, specifically South Korea, Africa, Europe. And it makes me tear up to think of all those wonderful, sweet times of worship where I've been in a 
a grass hut, quite literally, to a grand cathedral in Europe. Those were very special occasions. I can, I can think of having tears roll down my face to go, I'm brothers with them. I'm, these, these are my sisters. I was going to say, I'm a sister. I'm not sister. They're, they're sisters of mine. Even though I didn't speak the language in some of the cases, that connection was there. Although there are believers all over the world. Listen, I can't really connect to them and know and be known for a very long period. Why? Because I live in Johnstown. Fake Johnstown. We can't hold each other accountable if we live on different sides of the earth. You know, like how are you walking the Christian path? Well, you can use Facebook and kind of check. That's not life. I mean, most churches in the world, I know this is going to surprise you, don't speak English. We have to connect into a church where we can grow in our faith. When the Apostle Paul has just instructed the local church in Thessalonica to be very careful to prepare for the day of the Lord and Christ's return, he says this way to kind of sum this up. First, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That is the local church. I can be friends with people all over the world. I can't do life with them, though. I do life with you. Can I just point out something that I think has become a major problem in the United States, in the church? It doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you anyway. Especially over the last 50 years, but it's really been coming over the last 100 years. It's some, of the, it's some believers pick a church much like they would like where they're going to go eat tonight at a restaurant. Like I think I want to go eat Chinese food tonight and then I think no, 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 uh, definitely Mexican food because of me. And then I think what's the best places to go? And I bounce around from restaurant to restaurant, depending on what BB and I want. We go, what do you want? I don't know. She never knows what she wants. I say, where do you want? What do you want? I don't know. I'll go where you want to go, right? I might bounce around, but there's very little of me feeling a sense of community with a restaurant. They might recognize me from the time I was there like two months ago. Oh, you're the guy with the long beard, right? They don't even remember my order. Because I'm not there very often. I might go in every once in a while. Does that make sense? I pick a restaurant based on food and service and atmosphere, what they can provide me with, price. And people think that way about church and it's just wrong. Like, what can the church do for me? Like, do I like the music? Did I like the song selection? How about those lights? Did you like the lights? I didn't like, oh, I love the lights. Was the preaching too long? Oh, yes, it's that Paul guy. He goes on too long every time. Do I like the seating? Was it soft? Do I like what he wears on Sunday? Does that guy wear a tie? No, I hate it when guys wear ties. Do you love it? Oh, I love it when guys wear ties. Do you see what I mean? It's like all these preferences, like which restaurant are we going to? I don't know. We need to carefully pick a church based on what God wants us to do as part of the group as we become the church. And what the church believes as its doctrine. Next week, God willing, I want to take a look at what it means to be a member more in depth. And specifically, what we as individuals can do as a kingdom together. Let me close with what we started out with. And that's Luigi's. Luigi's lasagna. 
When we began this church way back in the dark days of 2010, it doesn't seem like long ago, and yet it seems like 14 years ago. We had a vision for what we wanted the church to be. And I think that vision was and is from God. I still think that. I look out and I see many people that started with that core group with me. I can't look at you longer. I get weepy-eyed on this kind of thought. As I've grown in my faith, and as our church has grown in spiritual maturity and size, we realize that we need to make sure like Luigi, that we're following the correct recipe. That we both teach the truth and we guard the truth. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I don't think we're doing anything wrong or that we would have already, we would have already made an effort. That's why we have such good elders and, and pastors in place. We would have made those changes. But I want us to do something is I want us to make sure that you are on the same page with what we believe. What are those core doctrines that make a church a church out of the foundation of Scripture? I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and preach the rest of the series, but I could right now, right now, other than to say this. God's vision for this church is much larger and more complete than we could ever have dreamed in in 2010. If Jesus tarries in his return, I want to make sure that we set this church up for the long haul to be a city on a hill in a land that's growing very dark spiritually every day. You see, soon there will be few churches that preach the Bible. Let me say soon. That's already the case. We're going to look at that next week. I'm looking forward to how we as individual members The individual stones that Peter refers to is carefully put together here at Ventry that if Jesus tarries in his return, that it will be here for many, many generations. My hope is that you will join me in this series, that you'll take it seriously and to say, what is the church? And make sure the recipe you're following is the same that God has for us. Not only as an individual, but as a church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I think back on that, that first service way back in Thompson Valley High School in 2010. And how you gave us the, the vision of a church that would, would be true to the gospel, to guard and teach the word of God. Not at some superficial level, not to be a social club, but to equip us. And God, we've done a lot of things right and we've done a few things wrong over the years. But God, you have been faithful through us all. That you have united us into a church that you've called us to be. God, my prayer is that you would take this truth of Scripture, these doctrines of Scripture, and make this church, grow it into the church you want it to be so that we become this spiritual house that you are building. We look forward to your return, Jesus. But until you come, find us faithful to operating and leading your church the way you have called us to. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.